For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. From Meat Eater's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. The University of Arkansas and a group of investors last week announced that the sale of 6,300 acres of highly disputed public land is dead. For those of you that remember, this chunk of ground has some very rare public waterfowl hunting, small game hunting, archery, muzzleloader, and rifle whitetail opportunity, as well as hiking, biking, and bird watching. The University of Arkansas was allowed to purchase federal land on the basis of providing educational opportunities and a public access component in perpetuity. The Pine Tree Station grew out of the Division of Agriculture's purchase of some 11,800 acres from the U.S. Forest Service in 1960 for $560,000. The deed specified that without a congressional waiver, the acreage was supposed to be returned to the Forest Service should it ever cease being used for public purposes. Again, the sale would only be possible by an act of Congress. Because, you know, a private duck club doesn't meet the standard for public purposes. However, this somehow got lost in translation of time, and things probably got confusing when a bunch of big money showed up and wanted that spot for a duck club to the tune of $17.6 million plus a million dollar conservation endowment. Would have been a nice little return on the original 560. I can see how memories blur. But, you know, if you're the seller, the University of Arkansas, and you know that an act of Congress would have to take place in order to close the deal, you know, that makes it really tough. So tough that you wouldn't think that 
entertaining offers and taking earnest money and money for surveys and assessments and stuff would even take place, right? Right. Well, anyway, you Razorbacks, I'm super proud of you. So many of you U of A alums, hunters, and anglers wrote in that this, um, let's call it a misunderstanding in regards to the purpose of the public land, is now dead. The Arkansas chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers deserves a huge shout-out on this one. I spoke with board member Jonathan Wilkins last night, and he assured me that losing Pine Tree to private property signs would have been a terrible loss. Arkansas BHA is not done yet either. They are working hard with Arkansas Game and Fish to make Pine Tree even better. Arkansas BHA Chair James Brandenburg says this, We have to work on the management of this property. Over the past couple years, it's been neglected. Beaver dams have stopped up the flow of water and killed some trees. Roads have been washed out. Trash has accumulated as the ownership was in a kind of limbo. We're going to work with whomever manages the public access to make it the best it can be. Senator Ron Caldwell, Republican out of Wynn County, a critic of the sale, said its end should have come sooner. Quote, it's something that should have been done at least six or eight months ago. If you would like to be a part of working on behalf of public lands and public access, check out backcountryhuntersandanglers.org. That's backcountryhuntersandanglers.org. I thought we'd start off episode 117 with that public land win. And thank you to the folks who reached out at the very beginning of the Pine Tree situation by writing in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's askcal, at themeateater.com. I truly do want to know what's going on in your neck of the woods. Please write in and let me know what's going on. And as per usual, you can always tell me what I'm messing up. This week, we've got ticks, wildlife crime, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week, if I'm being honest, is getting a bit pinched for time. Got a big trip to Alaska coming up. Time to do some serious harvesting at the old fish shack. Halibut, salmon, spot prawns, scallops, sea cucumbers. I only hope I have the stamina to hit the grocery store like I should. This weekend, I'm actually heading out to do some freshwater spearfishing just to stay in shape. But as I've said before, in the world of walleye fishing, there just isn't anything quite as fun as diving and spearing one. Especially this time of year when the game tends to change to dragging crawler harnesses along the bottom on ultra-slow drifts or, God forbid, trolling. Deep reservoirs stay cold here in Montana, so it's 5mm wetsuits and hopefully a nightly fish fry to keep our spirits up. I'll let you know how we do. In preparation, I'm grinding a bunch of duck and goose hearts with a chunk of antelope and some pork fat. That's going to be some powerful protein burgers. Moving on. Ticks have been making life very hard for New England moose over the past two decades. As winters have gotten shorter, more and more ticks can survive long enough through the fall to find a host, and tick infestation has now become a leading cause of moose mortality. A study published in the Canadian Journal of Zoology found that between 2014 and 2016, 
70% of moose calves in west central Maine and northern New Hampshire died of emaciation by winter tick infestation. On average, each animal hosted 47,371 ticks. I'm going to say that again. Each animal hosted 47,371 ticks. Remember, a host is someone with a parasite on it. 47,371 of them. This study didn't say that 70% of the calves that died were killed by ticks. It said that 70% of all moose calves died that way. And let's do the math. If an engorged winter tick weighs, uh, I don't know, let's say a quarter of a gram, 47,000 of them weighs over 26 pounds. That's like having a two-year-old kid riding around you, only this two-year-old is sucking your blood. Which, I don't know, maybe that's a normal feeling as a parent. Uh, feel free to write in and let me know. Hush, little vampire, don't say a word. Papa's gonna bite the head off a bird. <laughs> anyway, when people try to determine where ticks are coming from, they'll often look at what are known as vector animals, smaller and more mobile hosts that bring ticks into a new area to infest the native wildlife there. People who get very worried about ticks and Lyme disease get very worried about vector animals. As reported in New York Magazine, the hedge fund Titan and cancer researcher David Shaw considered building an enormous dry moat lined with sheer glass around his estate in upstate New York so that mice, squirrels, deer, and other tick-carrying vector critters couldn't climb up the glass to reach him and his family. With that much money... Maybe you could just put it into Lyme disease research or a glass line moat. Either way, I'm, I'm sure it would be very beneficial to, uh, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe just stick with the tick research. I'm starting to lean that way. This guy's so rich, he has a swimming pool in his swimming pool. This guy's got shoes. Anyway, turkey numbers have been way up in northern New England over the past several years and ecologists have hypothesized that maybe turkeys act as a vector for hosting and spreading ticks. A study in the Journal of Vector Ecology set out to test this hypothesis. Researchers placed hundreds of ticks in different developmental stages directly on five captive wild turkeys to determine whether they would latch on and engorge. They found that the ticks weren't able to get a foothold. The turkeys ate almost 95% of them. The researchers also tested whether turkeys were eating enough ticks to reduce their numbers on the landscape. Unfortunately, tick numbers stayed about the same, even with turkey predation. So we now know that turkeys are essentially a non-factor in the whole tick equation. My fellow turkey hunters can breathe easy. Interestingly, one of the proposed solutions for the tick-on-moose problem is an additional controlled moose hunt. That's more moose hunting opportunity. Although ticks have been killing moose and reducing moose fertility, one reason for the spread is a dense, thriving moose population ever since 1970. Lee Cantor, moose biologist with the Maine Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife, explains, quote, Lower moose numbers could be beneficial because if you have fewer moose wandering around, then the winter tick isn't just getting on a million moose and proliferating every year. We can't count on early fall snowstorms to kill all of these winter ticks. So, if we can thin out the moose, there's hope that we would break the cycle. The first of these expanded moose hunting opportunities in Maine will be in effect this season. 
all of you Maine Moose applicants, I'm sure, have your itchy trigger fingers crossed that it works. Moving on. The Minnesota Deer Hunters Association has called for the end of the captive deer industry in that state. A full stop in order to try to slow the spread of chronic wasting disease. According to the Duluth News Tribune, the move was prompted by a series of incidents over the past year. In the fall of 2020, 50 CWD-positive deer were destroyed at a farm in Beltrami County, and a quarantine went into effect at nine other farms in the state who had dealt with that operation. This Beltrami farm had also shipped deer to facilities in at least four other states and had illegally dumped deer from their infected herd onto public land in the area. A quick refresher on why this last issue of dumping deer is so dangerous. The pathogen that causes CWD isn't a bacteria or a virus, both of which die quickly when not in a living host. Rather, it's a prion which is a non-living, deformed version of a normal protein molecule that deforms the other proteins around it. Destroying prions is really difficult. If you incinerate a CWD-infected animal, you have to hold the tissue at 900 degrees Fahrenheit for four hours. Those dumped farm deer out in the wild deer habitat are a pile of dangerous prions that effectively never go away, which is why you see all of those ads and signs pointing hunters to deer carcass dumpsters. Just talk to my buddy Doug Duran. This Beltrami case is just the latest in a string of incidents at similar farms. Another operation in Winona County had to destroy all of its deer because every single one had CWD, but not before several animals escaped through a hole in the fence. That should be plural, by the way. Should be fences. But many farms chose not to go through the additional expense to adhere to the rules of having a captive servant facility up to code. That's two fences, not one. With its call to end the captive servant industry, the Minnesota Deer Hunters Association isn't saying the farms should be put out of business at a total loss. They're asking the state to conduct a buyout of existing farms. This model of paying commercial operators to phase out practices that hurt hunting and fishing has an interesting precedent in the state. In the 1980s, commercial fishermen on the Lake of the Woods and Rainy Lake were compensated by the state of Minnesota to cease operations over time. After being on the brink of extirpation, fish in the lakes rebounded quickly, and now the area is a huge draw for anglers who bring money to local businesses. Now, I'm sure if you are in the captive servant industry, this buyout sounds like crap. I'm sure you are one of the good ones, which is why you need to regulate other farmers who are not adhering to the extremely high standards they need to. But you are all in the agriculture business, and disease is a huge thing, especially one that can spread into, by comparison, unregulated herds of wild deer, elk, and moose. For instance, on July 6th, a cow on the Hawaiian island of Molokai tested positive for bovine TB. Despite the other individuals within the 30-cow herd testing negative, those individuals have also been destroyed. In 1997, the last time bovine TB was found on Molokai, that entire herd was destroyed. In addition, 
all cattle shipments have been and will be suspended until Molokai cattle can test TB free and the USDA reinstates the island status as bovine TB free. Cattle herds on Molokai have been tested since the 1940s, and hunters on Molokai turn in wild game for testing as well. Although not an apples to apples comparison, the point I'm trying to make is disease transmission is a big deal. It is not taken lightly in other areas of the agricultural space. The cattle industry is an enormous business, and I don't believe cattle ranchers as a group would lose any sleep over isolating an island of cattle off from everyone else if it were a threat to the industry as a whole. No, I am not trying to draw any historical references to Molokai's human disease history. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without on X. The hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Moving on to the Animal Crime Desk. Minnesota Department of Natural Resources conservation officers responded to a very unique case of an armed black bear last week. You heard that right. A black bear in possession of a firearm. 
The call came in from the Boundary Waters Canoe Area, where a backpack full of snacks and a pistol was stolen by the opportunistic Bruin, while the camper canoeer was mid-portage. Portage, or portage, as we call it here in Montana, is a fancy French word that means walk and drag your stuff from navigable water to navigable water. Had it just been a day pack with some fishing gear, we just would have taken a report, but this was a special occurrence, said Minnesota Department of Natural Resources conservation officers. After a paddle and a portage, the COs tracked and recovered what was left of the pack, the pistol was in good shape, the snacks, not so much. Police in India were tipped off to a stash of illegal moonshine liquor by a group of tipsy water buffalo. Three farmers in the dry state of Gujarat were making moonshine and stashing the bottles in a water trough. Apparently, some of the bottles in the trough had ruptured, which made the thirsty buffalo, quote, jump around willy-nilly. A veterinarian was summoned. The inspection of the water source resulted in over 100 bottles of moonshine being confiscated. A group of Montauk fishermen were fishing off of Block Island, Long Island, when a whale, quote, punched a hole in their boat and sent several anglers into the water. One of the anglers reportedly landed right on top of the whale. All anglers were fine, or will be, once the boat gets back to fixed and they get back to fishing. Jet skiers, you know, the folks that are out constantly spinning in circles, jumping boat wakes, and in general just ruining people's good days of fishing? Well, those folks repeatedly had a run-in with a mute swan, which is an exotic species, and the name of a swan, not a swan that can't talk. This happened near Seawood Harbor, New Jersey. The mute swan, again, a vocal animal, (coughs) apparently acted aggressive towards the jet skiers on multiple occasions, which from my time in Raritan Bay, you would think jet skiers would be very used to. You know, aggression towards them. Like from every boat fishing on the water but apparently the swan pushed it too far. Again, being an exotic species and an aggressive animal, the state and feds agreed that all they could do was trap and euthanize the bird. Animal rescue operations also declined to take the bird as they could not navigate the red tape of rescuing a healthy bird. The mute swan's days were numbered until it wrapped itself in fishing line, which then made it a rescuable bird. Take that, red tape. I am honestly only including this story because it sounds to me like this Jersey bird had been watching old prison movies through somebody's window. Days before the long walk to the hangman's rope, the bird comes down with the need to head to the hospital, then flies the coop? Come on, we've seen this story before. The mute swan landed in Popcorn Park, which sounds very fictional, but is very real and is very much likely a place a bird goes to die of congestive heart failure, but it won't have to live around jet skis for the rest of its days. As for the jet skiers, they now have the rest of the summer free of angry birds, with only angry anglers to deal with. As it should be. (laughs) Moving on to the National Parks desk. If you are in Hawaii, visit Pu'uhonoa Ohonaunau National Historic Park and get a free goat. (laughs) You have no doubt heard about park promotions of free access weekends or free admission for senior citizens. 
Well, this is the first time visitors will be eligible to win a wild goat. 20 to 50 goats will be given away through a lottery. Any member of the public can apply for the random lottery through the Camuela Division of Forestry and Wildlife. The park has been overrun by at least 700 goats, which is a bad situation for the cultural sites which goats can destroy by climbing on. Pu'uhonua refers to a safe place. Lawbreakers, refugees, beaten warriors were allowed refuge in these areas so long as they made it to them. This particular Pu'uhonua is located on the big island of Hawaii adjacent to the spot where Captain Cook was killed while flexing a bit too much muscle. Wonder if the captain would have been safe had he run for it and made it into the walls of the Pu'uhonua. I mean, we know the asylum rules don't extend to goats. If you have ever owned goats, you know that they are pretty cute to have around and can have some benefits right up until the point at which they aren't fun to have around, which is kind of the case of Captain Cook. Fun side fact, quite a few sources point to Captain Cook's expedition to the, quote, Sandwich Islands in 1778 as the origin point for the now booming population of goats, which, by the way, is an excellent example of a vector. Heck of a gift. I will admit, if you can ignore the fact that goats are incredibly hard on native plant communities, and they are as likely to be found standing on the roof of your vehicle as they are the enclosure you tried to put them in, they are quite tasty and pretty darned entertaining. Moving on to the legislation desk. We're going to start with New Zealand, then bring it back home. Kind of. If you're not aware, many folks like to make a blanket statement of hunting is conservation. Hunting is a tool that we use to manage wildlife populations in order to mitigate conflict. I agree with this in a broad sense, but a lot of times when we drill down, we run into the occasional situation of what's good in theory doesn't always work on the ground. For instance, here in Montana, a new highly criticized wolf management plan is open for public comment. As in Idaho, this management plan is being forced through by state lawmakers. Changes would liberalize means of take by including the use of night vision, snares, and bait. We would also get an increase in tags per hunter, which opponents argue is an obvious war on wolves. Trappers, as I've mentioned many times, are the best means of reducing wolf numbers, but no matter how long a season is, most trappers only are interested in trapping in the cold months when hides are good. Hunters, even those with a lot more tools at their disposal, like bait piles and night vision, will still need to make the time to bait and outfit themselves with scopes, which some will do, but not all, and then on top of that, they need to be successful in harvesting wolves. So is this a war on wolves? Personally, you know, I don't think so. Is this a way to appease loud voices, some of whom also complain about the failure of Montana Fish and Game to effectively reduce elk numbers? Well. Anyway, that's just an example of a wildlife management decision that from one angle seems like a fix to a perceived problem, but ultimately it is up to the boots on the ground. Comment period on the wolf regulations here in Montana is open until 5 p.m. July 26th. You can get your two cents in at mt.fwp.org. Now, over to New Zealand as promised. $700,000, that's NZD, or Kiwis, Bucks has been allocated to train new and existing hunters to be more effective at killing deer. 
The New Zealand Department of Conservation is working with the New Zealand Deer Stalkers Association to provide funding for outreach, education, and practical skills training. Why? The increasing deer population is harming New Zealand forests. The hopes behind this program is that recreational hunters, if given the chance, will thin the herds so the Department of Natural Resources won't have to. Imagine that. That's so crazy, it just may work. Moving on. The Mapland Act has passed the House Committee on Natural Resources. What the heck is the Mapland Act, you're asking? Well, it is this mapping and digitizing of public lands and public land information in order to give the public an easier way of understanding the public ground landscape. Imagine having a digital resource that you could use to find out super important information like legal easements and rights of way across private land. Think of how checkerboarded the West is. Year-round or seasonal closures of roads and trails. Restrictions, vehicle types. We could eliminate the guessing. Boundaries of areas, special rules, prohibitions, horsepower restrictions, etc. According to the Teddy Roosevelt Conservation Partnership, of the 37,000 existing easements held by the U.S. Forest Service, the agency estimated in 2020 only 5,000 had been converted into digital files. To get an idea of what the digital version would look like, take a minute and download the BLM Montana Dakota's Public Land Access web app. If you digitally scout in order to save some fuel and increase your odds, if you are dying to know if you can drive across a corner of private property on the unnamed, dusty two-track BLM road with no signage that's, you know, next to the piece of public land, call your duly elected senators today and tell them to pass the Modernizing Access to Our Public Lands Act. That's S-904. That's your call to action. Easiest and quickest way... Call 202-224-3121, tell them where you live, give them your zip code, and they'll patch you in with who you need to talk to. If you need more on the Mapland Act, please head to TheMeatEater.com and check out Katie Hill's latest article. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. And if you need a little extra muscle in the woods this season, check out www.steeldealers.com and find a personable, talented steel dealer near you where you can pick up a set of snips, shears, electric pruning saws, gas-powered saws to clear miles of trail, and last but not least, write in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's AskCal at TheMeatEater.com, and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance Axis deer populations on Maui 
while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order.